Stand by while NCLA cuts through the noise to signal abuse of administrative power. This is Administrative Static with Mark Chenoweth and John Vecchione. Welcome back to Administrative Static. John, I wanted to talk about what's going on with the student loan uh, cases and uh, in particular, the case that was brought in Missouri by the attorneys general of six states. So uh, the case name is State of Nebraska et al. v. Biden et al. Uh, The case, uh, the, the judge in the Eastern District of Missouri dismissed the case on standing grounds. It was appealed. Uh, to the Eighth Circuit. The Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals, folks may recall, put an administrative stay in place. And that is what that stay from the Eighth Circuit is what has prevented uh, the loans from being forgiven already uh, by the government. And there's there was an interesting exchange of 28 J letters uh, this week, uh, John. And uh, since you were kind enough to explain this issue to my class, can you tell the audience what a 28 J letter is? Yes. So in in appellate procedure, when you have appealed your case, um, people do it in the district court, but there's no specific rule. There's a federal appellate rule called 28J. And what it says is that a litigant may uh, t- point the court to subsequent authority, usually legal authority, but it can be factual as well. So you, you uh, after your briefs are filed and all the briefs are filed here, you can file one of these letters to say, hey court, something happened that we talked about and it's very important that you should take a look at it. They're, they're disfavored. I always say they're disfavored and, and uh, this is actually a factual matter, right? In this 28J, what happened, Mark? Yeah, it is. It is a factual matter. And I haven't seen too many of these factual 28J no, letters. I don't know. Not in appellate court. The other thing that's weird about this one, John, and, and uh, 350 words, right? That's the limit yeah. uh, on a 28J letter. Well, they their 28J letter is basically a cover letter that then attaches another letter to it that's way more than 350 words. <laughs> and that is a letter from... Uh, uh, to Representative Cory Bush, who is a, a member of the U.S. Congress, I think from Missouri, although, yes, First District of Missouri, I see here. Uh, and it was sent by Mohila, which is the uh, Higher Education Loan Authority of the state of Missouri. And what's interesting about this, one of the things that's interesting about this letter, John, is that at the very end, it says, sincerely, Mohila. And there's there's no one's name is on this is on this letter. No one at this government agency is taking credit. It's for from having, all, all the folks here yeah, down at Mohila, the good the good Mohila folks, you know, the whole tribe. Uh, but uh, uh, no, I mean, I think that there was an effort to uh, avoid responsibility uh, for having sent this uh, letter to Representative Bush. And what the letter the letter gives some facts about. Uh, Mohila and talks about the fact that, yeah. The one thing is the whole point of this is standing, right? So the states say that they have standing to bring this and the government, federal government says they don't have standing. And Missouri says, well, wait, we service these loans through our, uh, our wholly owned company that is a state actor, Mohila. So we have standing because we're injured when they lose money. 
That's, that's right. That point. The so, Higher Education Loan Authority of the State of Missouri gives us standing. Right. Is part of their argument. It's not right. their entire No, not argument. the whole thing, but, but it's a but that's it's a what's key going part. on here with this 28J. That's right. And it's a key part of the argument. And I think some people probably thought that it was the strongest standing argument, not not to take away from any of the other standing arguments that the states made, but uh, but if you were going to rank them, it, this one might have been at the top in terms of of, of uh, strength of standing. And so that's why, that's clearly why, a rep so this says, uh, Dear Representative Bush, this letter is in response to your letter dated October 18th, 2022, regarding the involvement of uh, Mohila and certain aspects of federal education loan programs. So there's obviously something going on here. Representative Bush's office wrote to Mohila, was trying to get information that would undermine the standing for the lawsuit and Mohila complied, but didn't want to actually put a name on no, it. No, so, because you know. Cori Bush is wants loan forgiveness, and the state uh, operators who brought the, the case, the AGs and everyone, don't want it. Right. And Mohila is between yes. <laughs> the two of them. That's right. And you know what's interesting is uh, Mohila is asserting a sort of independence here and suggesting that, that uh, maybe the state of Missouri wouldn't have a standing uh, over them as a result of, of said independence. But if they were really independent, they wouldn't care about whether the governor or the attorney general knew their name because they wouldn't be fireable by those individuals. That's true. Ford would just say, why are they doing this? <laughs> we, we, we don't want this and we're independent. We, we you know, disavow. That's they don't right. say that. They don't. They don't say that. Uh, so, uh, but the, the particular questions here, what are the, what is the extent of Mohila executives involvement with the attorney general's office decision to file the preliminary uh, injunction in federal court? The answer is Mohila's executives were not involved with the decision of the Missouri Attorney General's office. Uh, the second question, what is the nature of Mohila's relationship with the Attorney General's office? Please provide contractual agreements, correspondence, communication between the parties as it relates to student debt relief. And the answer is Mohila endeavors to have a professional and respectful relationship <laughs> with the uh, Missouri Attorney General's office. Mohila has not had and does not have a contractual relationship or agreement with the Attorney General's office on any topic as it relates uh, to student uh, debt relief. The only communications as it relates to student debt relief is that the office recently received a series of sunshine law requests on Mohila seeking copies of documents relating to Mohila's federal loan servicing contract. Uh, the third question, is Mohila supporting efforts to block millions of borrowers from accessing President Biden's debt relief plan in an effort to preserve its own profits? Answer, Mohila is faithfully fulfilling its obligations pursuant to its federal loan servicing contract. Mohila is a public instrumentality of the state. As a governmental entity, it does not have shareholders and does not exist to make profits. Any available funds above reasonable operating needs and reserves are devoted to Mohila or by Mohila to student financial aid. Fourth and last question, attorneys acting on your behalf. Attorneys is misspelled, by the way. Nice job, uh, Mohila. Uh, attorneys, or the, maybe that maybe they're just using uh, uh, Corey Bush's originally, original spelling. spelling since this is the, uh, they seem the to question. be listing it and then yes. repeating. Uh, attorneys acting on your behalf argued before a federal judge that Mohila's revenue as a servicer of direct loan programs is a function of accounts at services. So when student loan balances go to zero, Mohila will lose the revenue from servicing those student loans. This suggests that it is not in your financial interest for borrowers to have their loans canceled through the PSLF program, What's which is also interesting because it's not the PSLF program that's 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 not the Biden program. Anyway, what steps are, are your company uh, what steps are your company taking to ensure that this clear conflict of interest is remedied and does not result in borrowers losing out on relief. Uh, and there's a very long uh, answer to that question. Uh, but the but the long and the short of it uh, is that Mohila is sort of giving the answer here of how the waivers work and 
uh, it became a public service loan forgiveness program servicer on a certain date and you know all these all these sorts of things factual responses factual responses factual responses so uh, but the um uh but the letter from the uh from the federal defendants in this uh in this lawsuit state of nebraska v biden uh, submit this letter and they say that we write to inform the court of the attached uh, mohila letter in response to an inquiry from representative bush mohila's letter clarifies that its executives were not involved Mohila has not had and does not have a contractual relationship with the Missouri Attorney General's office. It's only communications, as I said, were the Sunshine Law ones. Uh, Mohila does not exist to make profits. Mohila is committed to meeting the expectations and requirements as directed and administered by the U.S. Department of Education's Office of Federal Student Aid. So without quite saying, hey, this undermines standing, they're trying to send a flashing uh, red light to the Eighth Circuit saying that this uh, this affects standing. So in a battling of dueling 28 J letters, which we often see, uh, I, I sort of enjoy watching uh, uh, rule 28. J. Maybe the J stands for joust. I'm not, I'm not <laughs> sure. But, uh, but these. Uh, but plus you only get the 350 words. Oh, so yeah. you really got to be they're, they're, And you're not supposed to really have too much argument. That's right. It's, it's like you're just the, supposed uh, to tell them why it's why this relates to something they filed before. It's right. It's almost like a pellet Twitter. Like you've got to mm. really condense what you want to <laughs> say. Uh, but uh you get 350 words instead of you know characters, but it's uh, it's still pretty tight. Uh, so uh, what the uh, state of th this letter, by the way, is signed by the Solicitor General of Missouri and the Solicitor General of Nebraska, uh, and also the Deputy Solicitor General uh, of Missouri, uh, Michael Talent. I wonder if that's uh, related related to Jim, Jim Talent, the Got former uh, senator from Missouri. Anyway, uh, what they say is. Uh, uh, yes, uh, dear Mr. Gans, he's the clerk of the court for the Eighth Circuit. The department cited 28J as justification to submit a letter that Mohila recently sent to Representative Cory Bush. Far from supporting the department, the Mohila letter affirms key facts that establish Missouri's standing. First, Mohila is a public instrumentality of the state of Missouri. Second, because Mohila is a nonprofit governmental entity, any available funds above its operating needs and reasonable reserves are devoted by Mohila to student financial aid. This squarely supports the state's argument that harming Mohila's finances reduces money that Mohila uses to originate loans from Missouri students, fund financial aid programs of the Missouri Department of Higher Education and Workforce Development, and contribute to Missouri's Lewis and Clark Discovery Fund. And then they cite to different places in their motion for injunction and their reply brief and so forth. Because Missouri has, which is what you're supposed to do, as John was saying in your 28J uh, letter, I don't really see anywhere in the 28J letter filed by the U.S. Department of Justice Civil Division any reference to anything that they had filed. Well, I guess there's one reference to one page in the opposition brief, so I'll you take know. that back. Uh, back to the to the letter. Because Missouri has declared the Mohila's support for higher education in the state furthers an essential public function, this undeniably harms the state. The Mohila letter tacitly accepts that Mohila's revenue is a function of the loans it services. Mohila, as the states have said. The department's Rule 28J filing is also improper. It does not attach legal authority supporting the department's arguments, but attempts to supplement the record with a letter reciting known or irrelevant facts. For example, that Mohila does not make profits is clear from Missouri law, and that the Missouri Attorney General sent sunshine requests to Mohila was mentioned by the district court. Other facts about communications or agreements between Mohila and the Missouri Attorney General, even if unknown to the department beforehand, are irrelevant because those facts do not change the harm to state interests that Missouri has established uh, or the state permitting 
or the state law permitting the Missouri Attorney General to vindicate those interests in the name of the state. So a very interesting set of, of dueling letters here. I think at the end, this, this might help the state of Missouri. I think to the extent the court had any questions about this, uh, you know, I think this is the state standing up for like about stronger Welcome back to Administrative Static, and I, I want to finish up with um, our last segment with a piece on Elon Musk, who's usually uh, fun to talk about. But what got me interested in this was um, there was an article in the Washington Monthly by Luke Goldstein. It's, debate, it's, it's dated November 3rd, 2022, and the headline is How to Rein in Elon Musk. As the tech titan controls Twitter, Tesla, and vital satellite network, and it's too much power. Fortunately, the government has the legal and, here's the bad part, regulatory authority to constrain him. Now, um, I picked this article because I think Mr. Goldstein uh, it is not a, a hair-on-fire guy. He lays out his arguments in, um, in a, in a um, reasonable manner, but there is a danger here of the use of the regulatory state. And I think um, as I go through it and we talk about it, I think you'll see how this could apply to anyone, not just Elon Musk, um, and why you should not look at administrative law the way Mr. Goldstein looks at it. And I'm just going to uh, ask you to think of, you know, in the Odyssey, Homer says, the blade itself incites to violence. And what that means is just because you have a sword, you want to use it, and it makes you do things you wouldn't otherwise do. I think the administrative state incites to regulation, and I think <laughs> that is exactly what we have here with Mr. Goldstein's article. So first he states the problem, and the problem's a little there's, – there's a little xenophobia, but I'm not going to cast dispersions on that. But he says, he says will the South African-born mogul – Welcome Donald Trump back to the platform. Will Musk use Twitter to skew debate or even elections? Those are important questions, but another problem with the deal has received far less attention. And this is his real problem. Musk's control of Twitter amplifies his already troubling attempts to exploit his satellite-based internet service. Musk has shown that he will use his proprietary Starlink satellite broadband system to control the fate of nations, disregarding the security of his adopted United States. Right. That's why I say there's a little bit of xenophobia in there. And um, so then he goes through. I don't I I recommend this article to you. I find it very interesting. But I but I disagree with this. First, he doesn't think Musk should be subsidized because he's getting too much power. I, you know, there's a lot of subsidy is a is a fraught issue. And I certainly don't begrudge him that. But here's what I begrudge him. Um, he says that. He, he he thinks subsidies are some the Pentagon keeps buying Musk services. That, well, that's not a subsidy. They're 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 buying his product because it's good. And in fact, Mr. Goldstein says it's great. You can't believe how this works. <laughs> <laughs> I don't begrudge him those defense contracts at all. I do begrudge him the uh, uh, the idea that people buying eighty thousand dollar cars should be subsidized is is just 
offensive to me. I, but exactly. So that's why I said there's a lot of fair-minded stuff in here. But the thing that is bad and and that I think is is so he doesn't like some of the things Musk is doing, and he says that you know Musk is kind of threatening Ukraine. Well, Musk saved Ukraine, but he he thinks that that. Musk saying that the Pentagon should pay him the 400 million he's spending to do Ukraine is like a threat. And I'm like, well, look, one guy can't support the, the communications of a nation at war. It didn't seem un, un, unreasonable to me. But here is what he says. One way um, to bring Musk under control is for the feds to stop showering Starlink and other Musk controlled enterprises with what he calls sweetheart deals. I don't know that they are. But his Twitter purchase also demands that Washington immediately consider regulating Starlink and other Musk, pro Musk properties far more closely. And then he makes an antitrust uh, argument, citing the New York Telegraph Act of 1848, saying that telecommunications has always been regulated by the um, government and the airwaves are owned by the government and all that. He makes reasonable arguments about that, but he he's, wants to use all of these statutes and all of the agencies he then says Joe Biden's administration should also use antitrust law to cajole Musk. That's not the purpose of the FTC and the antitrust. It's to stop violations of law. You don't use the administrative agencies to cajole someone who's not violating the law. And so then historically, he says, Americans uh, did not allow owners of essential communications infrastructure to own adjacent business lines. Now, what he's talking about is a now discredited view that uh, that I was going to say didn't we didn't we move past yes that? that radio stations can't own newspapers and all the rest of it well because newspapers are such juggernauts of uh, uh, profitability exactly I mean Jeff Bezos owns a lot of things he also owns the Washington Post yeah that and, might be a loss leader exactly <laughs> and the Atlantic I think is run by Steve Jobs old old uh, his 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 former wife um, or not Jobs no. I'm getting my billionaires mixed up, but anyway, <laughs> I, I, I may, but, but the point is he, he then, so he says, enforcing structural separations between communication infrastructure corporations like Starlink and media content managers like Twitter has remained an essential part of the government's efforts to contain the power of monopolies, but he doesn't say that there is a monopoly and, and uh, Starlink is just better. Basically what he says is it's better than the other things out there. And then he cites, and I love this, in 2018, for instance, the Justice Department opposed the merger of AT&T Wireless and Time Warner on the same principle, though the DOJ did not prevail <laughs> because its enforcers botched the argument. He links to an amicus brief, and God knows neither Mark or I ever dissuade linking to amicus briefs. <laughs> but I do think, um, he says, control of technology like Starlink and fundamental media infrastructure like Twitter by a single person poses a much starker threat to our democracy than the AT&T case. And he says, demands an even firmer and competently argued response, at least. But the point here is, is that he doesn't like what Musk is doing in other ways, but he's not saying that Musk is violating the law. He doesn't say this administrative agency has not done this. The one thing he does say is that, that they have approved too many satellite launches, that he's, he's now launched more satellites than have ever been launched in world history. And he thinks that that they should have not let him launch them. But I, but the implication I got from the article is that he thinks they shouldn't let him launch him because he's getting too much power, not because he's violating the law or because any administrative uh, principle was violated. And I think that this tendency, and I do bring this up because I think this had a lot of 
interesting information in it by Mr. Goldstein. And I also thought it was very um, calm. <laughs> but I think it that someone who can write and argue like this immediately goes to the administrative agency without pointing out um, a, a violation of law is is that's dangerous. The administrative, the fact that you have an administrative structure should not be used to attack people who you're afraid of. Basically, I'm afraid of Elon. He's too big. I'm I'm nervous about what he might do in the future. Not that he's violating the law now, because obviously he has been regulated. When the SEC thought he was violating a law, they didn't hesitate, right? They went after him as, as fast as can be. That's right. And, and perhaps this is the spot where we should disclose the fact that Elon Musk was a signatory to an amicus brief in one of our cases. Right, so right. if it, anyone wants to that's true. suggest that there's a conflict of interest it, here, but, but we do not get funding from Mr. Musk. No, exactly. No, I would be happy to. <laughs> exactly. But we have, we do not, we have no relationship other than that amicus brief. But I do think that it's, that this, um, this is how insidious it is because this is not a bomb throwing article. It's not somebody who's malicious. It is just the natural mindset of the regulator now. He's not trying to be provocative with this right. article, you don't think? I don't think so. I, okay. I think he's trying to say, well, you have these tools and we could go back to the old standard of, of ownership. But I think when you, when you say that somebody has breached a regulation and it's being ignored, that's one thing. But that's not really what he's saying. He's not saying that Musk is violating the law or any administrative principle right now. Um, he may think that there should be different antitrust laws. You know, I, I will say this, but he doesn't say this, so I'm not sure it's true, that uh, what the standard for monopolization is, is now uh, newly contested, I think, with... with uh, well, with the, the current head of the FTC. Correct, correct. Yeah. So he may be doing Lena, that. Lena Khan. Lena Khan, right. So... Maybe there's something like that going on, but you cannot just because you have the administrative state going around looking for individuals to subject to administrative regulation without violation. See, violation first, then regulatory response. Oh, or you, you haven't read your Lewis Carroll, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> so sentence first. So I do think that the um, that the that the um, if you if you think Musk is doing something wrong, say what it is other than being big and having this he loves starlink i mean i will say this the author really does love <laughs> thinks starlink. it's a really cool <laughs> yeah, and he thinks it's really good Network, and, and he yeah. thinks and there is the mindset there that something that powerful should not be in private hands that's what i'm getting out of it yeah and and, and i think that that is another thing and, and well that, and that no one should be big enough to be able to resist the administrative state <laughs> apparently that I, seems to be part of it too. i think that's right as well and uh i it does uh, it does show that what we're doing here at NCLA is very important because this is the mindset of a lot of regulators, um, even the ones who are not ideologically against this guy or against that guy. They are against your freedom of action uh, unmonitored. It reminds me a little of the Mexican Gulf case where nobody can tell you why you need to track these boats. There's, they, they don't really have a reason that relates to the fit but you know what but we're the be, government. Be, yeah it would be better off we'd like it you know we want to know we want to know so i i think that that and who's going to stop and <laughs> who's going to stop us and i think that this article ncla oh, yes okay. exactly um so i think that this really um you know he points out the national security issues and national security is a fraught area as well but when 
the defense department has all these contracts that they, they could cut off the contracts. And he says, and he, and he says that sweetheart deals. If Musk was a national security problem, I don't think they'd be having contracts with him, right? You, you don't, they don't hire, so. they just got rid of all the ways, you know, Huawei had all these things in our drones, I think, or something like this. And they said, oh, well, maybe we shouldn't be getting it from China, right? They, they're allowed to do that. Light bulb. <laughs> By the way, you're right about the Atlantic. It's uh, uh, the, the majority stakeholder is Lorraine Powell Jobs, Steve Jobs' widow. Okay, got it. So um, yeah, I don't, I don't hang around in those circles so much. So I sometimes <laughs> forget which one. Yes, exactly. And so the, the, uh, all these folks, particularly as print has had such a hard time, they're going to be owned by people who might own some other type of communication network. And you actually um, lower the amount of speech if you prevent it. And that was the whole argument. So anyway, I, it's how to rein in Elon Musk in the Washington Monthly. Go, go see what you think. Um, but I think that the whole impulse there is a problem with the administrative. We'll be back in the future.